Hello and welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm Anna Rita Rego, MLEX's London Managing Editor. The Brexit negotiations have just begun and already we have a huge impasse. In the words of the EU's chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, there is fundamental divergence between Brussels and London. The issue is the European Court of Justice. Should the Luxembourg-based court have jurisdiction over the questions of citizens' rights in the UK after Brexit? Joining me to discuss this is Brexit correspondent Matthew Holhouse. Hello, Matthew. Hello. What is the situation with the negotiations so far? Does it amount to a standoff? From what we've heard from the uh, chief negotiators on both sides so far, they're a long way apart. Uh, and the clock is ticking. We've had the first substantive round of negotiations where uh, UK and EU negotiators scoped out the issue, uh, the issues. And, and the, uh, the problem is, is the role of the European Court of Justice in the UK post-Brexit. The EU position is that uh, questions of EU law and chiefly the question of citizens' rights, the, the status of uh, EU citizens in the UK, UK nationals in the EU, Post-Brexit, that has to be under the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice uh, and their cases will will be referred to the ECJ and and those rulings will be binding on the UK. The UK says that's simply not acceptable because the European Court of Justice is is the court of the European Union. The UK won't be in the European Union. There's no precedent for a non-EU state to be subject to, to the rulings of the court, not least because the UK won't have a um, won't have a judge there. Both sides are dug in uh, pretty hard, and this isn't this isn't a secondary technical issue that can be left to the to the end of the of the courts because uh, for the UK this is a, a a matter of epic constitutional importance. What is what is the legal status of the UK? What what's its relationship with the European Union and its legal order uh, post Brexit? It, it cuts to the real heart of, of why people um, had a had a referendum about Brexit. In the first place, and, and it's a question that's going to run all the way through these negotiations. It's going to be about citizens' rights, but it's also we're going to run up against it in the question of trade, in data, in in, in cooperation on security. So they need to, they need to get it cracked. So 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 this issue isn't going to go away. Um, but but why is it so complicated? I mean, that the, the EU has lots of dispute resolution mechanisms with trade partners that, that aren't the ECJ. You know, um, look at its. Um, situation with Canada could could that not be an option for the UK well, well this is exactly what the UK said in its in its white paper in January it had a, a big index on dispute resolution and it said there are lots of ways in which you do dispute resolution uh, that don't involve the ECJ and and the answer to that is for the EU side one well, well this is an unprecedented process of disintegration and trying to unscramble the omelette so it's much more complicated than just a, a bilateral trade agreement uh, it's about trust and it's about people. There's not a lot of goodwill towards the UK authorities and there's, there's uh, 3 million European citizens in the UK, there's 1 million Brits in the EU uh, and so it's people's lives and that's why it's such a, a hot issue. Um, but the legal problem is this, that this is about uh, preserving the integrity of European case law. The, uh, the ECJ has repeatedly said that questions of EU law uh, cannot be ultimately determined by any other body. Uh, this has been set out in, in test cases when they uh, created a, a single European aviation area. It came up when they were looking at patent courts. It, it came up uh, when they were looking at the, uh, the, the question of the accession of the EU to the European Convention on Human Rights. The ECJ will not tolerate a threat to, to its monopoly over the European legal order. And both the UK and the EU accept that in this deal that you're going to have on citizens' rights, unlike any other trade agreement, there's going to be huge amounts of EU law involved over pensions, over the fate of 
for example, the accumulation of child benefits. All these issues are going to be built out of EU law. And so the EU says, well, those questions have to still lie under the European Court of Justice. So, so what is MLEX hearing on this? Um, is there a way out of this impasse? Um, how is this going to be resolved? Well, we, we have spotted a couple of clues in the UK position, uh, which people who uh, look at the operation of the EFTA court, which deals with Norway, Iceland and Liechtenstein's participation in the uh, EU single market, say are really significant. And it shows that the British side, if they're not ready at least to copy the EFTA court, or at least... Uh, raiding it and looking at all sorts of, of models out of this. So the EFTA court sits separately to the European Court of Justice. It's got Norwegian, Icelandic and Liechtensteinian judges and they, they have to imitate the case law of the ECJ so that, so that you preserve that homogeneity of case law that we've talked about. The two big clues are this. The first, the first thing is that the, the proposition that the Brits have put on the table for how European case law will be kept, dealt with post-Brexit mirrors exactly the EFTA agreement and that says that uh, any case law from the ECJ from before Brexit Day will be preserved and, and can only very rarely be changed. And the British courts will give due regard or, or where appropriate, pay attention to post-Brexit ECJ case law. Uh, and that's exactly the formulation that the EU side negotiators have put forward and it's exactly what they do in Norway. So there's there's an alignment there about, about that important ideal of, of how, how you preserve the homogeneity of case law. So that's clue one. Clue two is uh, this, that the Brits have a problem with the concept of direct effect. This is the EU law principle that says EU law penetrates all the way through your, through your legal system and bites on individuals. It creates rights on individuals that they can invoke before the court. And those rights granted by EU law trump any sort of domestic legislation. It's a way in which the EU law becomes supreme within the domestic legal order. And the UK says, well, well we're leaving the EU. So this, this simply cannot apply to us. The EU negotiators are saying, well, it has to apply. So the, the withdrawal agreement has to create these rights that bite on EU citizens in the UK and can still be uh, invoked before the domestic courts. So that's the standoff. And, and what the Brits have done, the, the way they are wanting to exit this impasse is, is they have copied in a technical note that they presented to the EU negotiators the exact formulation that's used in the EFTA agreement. And what this basically says is that we'll have something that resembles direct effect, but it but it, it's constructed as in domestic law. It says that we will create rights in domestic law that people can invoke in domestic courts, and they will be enforced through an international law agreement, uh, so that people will still have those rights, but you don't have the same degree of penetration through coming through the uh, domestic legal order. These rights exist within the domestic legal order. That's, that's, that's like high European legal theory. But for the Brits, it means all the difference in the world about whether you are a, a sovereign state or not. So, so say the UK does go down this route and the, the EU agrees to a, a sort of EFTA court. Why is this model so attractive to the UK? Well, what, what the people who are involved in the EFTA court say, they're really happy for the Brits to copy it. They say, one, it's tried and tested, so it works. Uh, and they say it really cleverly balances the need to preserve the homogeneity of EU law that we've, we've talked about and, and respect the ultimate arbitration power of the ECJ, with at the same time respecting the, uh, the sovereignty of states and the ability for your national courts to be, within a national context, the ultimate arbiter. So... Uh, for example, the, the things they point out are that the, the rulings of the EFTA court are not binding on, on national courts. They're merely advisory. 
and in response, national courts agree sort of informally to to uh, to follow them, but there's no formal binding mechanism. And there's actually there's very little interaction between the EFTA court and the ECJ. So the EFTA court doesn't refer cases up to the ECJ. There is a, a mechanism that allows in if if the the parties agree to send cases up to the ECJ for for arbitration if they think that uh, the EFTA rulings are diverging from ECJ. Uh, position, but that's never been used. So actually, there's there's very little contact between these two bodies, and that would allow Theresa May to say, "Look, you know, we've we've created a different system, but we're out of the ECJ, and it's a it, it, it's it's something that protects the the sovereignty, if you like, or the supremacy of, of British courts." Uh, and people in in uh, in the EFTA court are, are putting it there on a plate and saying, "Come on, you know, you guys are crazy not to be not to be copying this." And, and, and in terms of resources and, and saving resources, wouldn't it just make more sense to have the UK integrate the EFTA court? If, if it already exists, it's a body that exists, it's tried and tested, um, would, would that be an option? Well, so the Brits, the Brits seem much more keen to create a wholly bespoke system. They, they're not that keen on copying, uh, copying the deal that Norway has because, because they want to feel that they've created a bespoke system and, and that they're, they're not getting something off the peg. But I think there's lots of forces that are, are militating to have the UK simply dock and become the fourth using state of the EFTA court. The reason for that on the EU side is simply the, the clock's against them. You know, this is a two-year negotiation. They've got a really hard deadline of October to make progress on this issue. So it's a matter of weeks. And the problem is, is that in the past, the ECJ has always wanted to step in and uh, have a ruling on the creation of a rival court. And if they if they say no, you know you, this bespoke model you've made for the UK is not compatible with us, and that will blow the entire Brexit timetable apart. Uh, so the EU is much keener for the UK either to accept something as tried and tested, either the ECJ or EFTA, and they've hinted, you know, quite publicly that EFTA is a good a good model. Uh, and, and the EFTA court's really keen for the for the uh, the, the authorities. Of the EFTA court are really happy and keen for the for the British uh, to dock with it because it would legitimize the project they think it works they think it's very sensible and it would bring you know, new resources and new prestige to the to the uh, organization and there's a precedent for that because as we we write in the pieces that uh in 2010 the eu proposed that switzerland could could dock with the efta court and use the efta court to arbitrate on their um their sectoral agreements with the eu which is slightly different to the deal that norway's got you've mentioned that the um that you know it's time to for the uk to make up its mind now there isn't much time to to decide. What can we expect from now until the end of the year? So, so the timetable really is against the against the British because if they want to open trade negotiations that will allow them to have an agreement on the future relationship and the exit deal by uh, buying you know the end of uh, the, the spring of twenty nineteen, they need to get cracking. And the EU's repeatedly saying we've not heard enough from the British. We need more progress. We need more on the table, and we need more compromises. Uh, and so it's all very well for the UK to have put out these papers, which give very interesting clues to people like us. But actually, they're going to have to come up with something much more substantive if they're going to if they're going to stick to this really swift deadline that, that's created by the Article 50 process. Matthew, thank you very much for your insight. Um, thank you. MX has published two pieces on this topic, one setting out the background to the row and the other on what we know about the EFTA option. You can access these on MX's website. Thank you very much for listening and see you soon.